Welcome to Fast Asleep. And are you ready to put whatever happened today behind you and just engage in a classic author and a classic tale? And have we got one today? All right. Our writer today is pen name Flannery O'Connor. Real name, Mary Flannery O'Connor. She was born in Georgia and she died in Georgia before she even turned 40. She was known for her sardonic Southern Gothic style, I'll say. She wrote two novels in her short time, but 32 short stories. And have we got one for you. All right, everybody. Tuck into part one of two and enjoy. A good man is hard to find. The grandmother didn't want to go to Florida. She wanted to visit some of her connections in East Tennessee, and she was seizing at every chance to change Bailey's mind. Bailey was the son she lived with, her only boy. He was sitting on the edge of his chair at the table, bent over the orange sports section of the journal. Now look here, Bailey, she said. See here, read this. And she stood with one hand on her thin hip and the other rattling the newspaper at his bald head. Here, this fellow that calls himself the misfit is a loose from the federal pen and headed toward Florida. And you read here what it says he did to these people. You just read it. I wouldn't take my children in any direction with a criminal like that, a loose in it. I couldn't answer to my conscience if I did. Bailey didn't look up from his reading. So... She wheeled around then and faced the children's mother, a young woman in slacks whose face was as broad and innocent as a catfish and was tied around with a green head kerchief that had two points on the top like rabbit's ears. She was sitting on the sofa, feeding the baby his apricots out of a jar. The children have been to Florida before, the old lady said. You all ought to take them somewhere else for a change so they would see different parts of the world and be broad. They've never been to East Tennessee. The children's mother didn't seem to hear her, but the eight-year-old boy, John Wesley, a stocky child with glasses, said, Well, if you don't want to go to Florida, why don't you just stay at home? He and the little girl, June Starr, were reading the funny papers on the floor. She wouldn't stay at home to be queen for a day, June Starr said, without raising her yellow head. Well, yes, and what would you do if this fellow the misfit caught you? The grandmother asked. I'd smack him right in the face, John Wesley said. She wouldn't stay at home for a million bucks. June Starr said, afraid she'd miss something. She has to go everywhere we go. Oh, all right, miss, the grandmother said. You just remember that the next time you want me to curl your hair. June Starr said her hair was naturally curly. 
the next morning. The grandmother was the first one in the car, ready to go. She had her big black valise that looked like the head of a hippopotamus in one corner. And underneath it, she was hiding a basket with Pity Sing, the cat, in it. She didn't intend for that cat to be left alone in the house for three days. Well, because he would miss her too much. And she was afraid he might brush against one of the gas burners and accidentally asphyxiate himself. Her son, Bailey, well, he didn't like to arrive at a motel with a cat. She sat in the middle of the back seat with John Wesley and June Starr on either side of her. Bailey and the children's mother and the baby sat in front. And they left Atlanta at 8.45 with the mileage on the car at 55,890. The grandmother wrote this down because, well, she thought it would be interesting to say how many miles they had been when they got back. It took them 20 minutes to reach the outskirts of the city. The old lady settled herself comfortably, removing her white cotton gloves and putting them up with her purse on the shelf in front of the back window. The children's mother still had on slacks and still had her head tied up in a green kerchief. But the grandmother had on a navy blue straw sailor hat with a bunch of white violets on the brim and a navy blue dress with a small white dot in the print. Oh, her collars and cuffs were white organdy trimmed with lace and at her neckline she had pinned a purple spray of cloth violets containing a sachet. Well, in case of an accident, anyone seeing her dead on the highway would know at once that she was a lady. She said she thought it was going to be a good day for driving, neither too hot nor too cold. Oh, and she cautioned Bailey that the speed limit was 55 miles an hour and that the patrolmen hid themselves behind billboards and small clumps of trees and sped out after you before you had a chance to slow down. She pointed out interesting details of the scenery. Stone Mountain, the blue granite that in some places came up to both sides of the highway. Oh, the brilliant red clay banks, slightly streaked with purple. And the various crops that made rows of green lace work on the ground. The trees were full of silver white sunlight and the meanest of them sparkled. The children were reading comic magazines and their mother had gone back to sleep. Let's go through Georgia fast so we won't have to look at it much, John Wesley said. Well, if I were a little boy, said the grandmother, I wouldn't talk about my native state that way. Tennessee has the mountains and Georgia has the hills. Tennessee is just a hillbilly dumping ground. John Wesley said. And Georgia is a lousy state, too. You said it, June Starr said. Well, in my time, said the grandmother, folding her thin-veined fingers, 
children were more respectful of their native states and their parents and everything else people did right then. Oh, oh, look at that cute little child, she said, and pointed to a child standing in the door of a shack. Oh, wouldn't that make a picture now, she asked. And they all turned and looked at the little child out of the back window. Oh, and the child, he waved. He didn't have any britches on, June Star said. Well, he probably didn't have any, the grandmother explained. Some children in the country, they don't have things like we do. Oh, if I could paint, I'd paint that picture, she said. The children exchanged comic books. The grandmother offered to hold the baby, and the children's mother passed him over the front seat to her. She set him on her knee and bounced him and told him about the things they were passing. She rolled her eyes and screwed up her mouth and stuck her leathery, thin face into his smooth, bland one. Occasionally, he gave her a faraway smile. They passed a large cotton field with five or six graves fenced in, in the middle of it, like a small island. Oh, look at that graveyard, the grandmother said, pointing it out. That was an old family burying ground. That belonged to the plantation. Where's the plantation? John Wesley asked. Gone with the wind, <laughs> said the grandmother. When the children finished all the comic books they had brought, they opened the lunch and ate it. The grandmother ate a peanut butter sandwich and an olive and would not let the children throw the box and the paper napkins out the window. When there was nothing else to do, they played a game by choosing a cloud and making the other two guess what shape it suggested. John Wesley took the shape of a cow and June Starr guessed a cow. And John Wesley said, no, an automobile. And June Starr said he didn't play fair. And they began to slap each other over the grandmother. And the grandmother said she would tell them a story if they would keep quiet. And she told a story. <laughs> she rolled her eyes and waved her head and was very dramatic. She said once, when she was a maiden lady, she had been courted by a Mr. Edgar Atkins Tea Garden from Jasper, Georgia. She said he was a very good looking man and a gentleman and that he brought her a watermelon every Saturday afternoon with his initials cut in it. E. A. T. <laughs> well, one Saturday, she said, Mr. Tea Garden brought the watermelon and, well, there was nobody at home. And he left it on the front porch and returned in his buggy to Jasper. But she never got the watermelon, she said, because a little boy ate it when he saw the initials E A T. Ah, oh, this story tickled John Wesley's funny bone, and he giggled and giggled, 
But June Starr didn't think it was very funny. She said she wouldn't marry a man that brought her a watermelon on Saturday. The grandmother said she would have done very well to marry Mr. Tea Garden because he was a gentleman and had bought Coca-Cola stock when it first came out and that he had died only a few years ago, a very wealthy man. They stopped at the tower for barbecued sandwiches. The tower was a part stucco and part wood filling station. Oh, and dance hall set in a clearing outside of Timothy. A fat man named Red Sammy Butts ran it. And there were signs stuck here and there on the building and for miles up and down the highway saying, Try Red Sammy's Famous Barbecue, none like Famous Red Sammy's Red Sam, the fat boy with the happy laugh. Hmm. A veteran, Red Sammy's your man. Well, Red Sammy was lying on the bare ground outside the tower with his head under a truck, while a gray monkey about a, a foot high, chained to a small chinaberry tree, chattered nearby. The monkey sprang back into the tree and got on the highest limb as soon as he saw the children jump out of the car and run toward him. Inside, the tower was a long, dark room with a counter at one end and tables at the other and dancing space in the middle. They all sat down at a board table next to the Nickelodeon and Red Sam's wife, a tall, burnt brown woman with hair and eyes lighter than her skin, came and took their order. The children's mother put a dime in the machine and played the Tennessee waltz. And grandmother said, that tune always made her want to dance. She asked Bailey if he would like to dance, but he only glared at her. He didn't have a naturally sunny disposition like she did, and, well, trips made him nervous. The grandmother's brown eyes were very bright. She swayed her head from side to side and pretended she was dancing in her chair. Now June Starr said, play something she could tap to. So the children's mother put in another dime and played a fast number, and June Starr stepped out onto the dance floor and did her tap routine. Oh, ain't she cute, Red Sam's wife said, leaning over the counter. Would you like to come be my little girl? No, I certainly wouldn't, June Starr said. I wouldn't live in a broken down place like this for a million bucks and she ran back to the table. Oh, well, ain't she cute, the woman repeated, stretching her mouth politely. Oh, aren't you ashamed, hissed the grandmother. Red Sam came in and told his wife to quit lounging on the counter and hurry up with these people's order. His khaki trousers reached just to his hip bones, and his stomach hung over them like a sack of meal swaying under his shirt. 
He came over and sat down at a table nearby and let out a combination sigh and yodel. Ah, you can't win, he said. You can't win. And he wiped his sweating red face off with a gray handkerchief. These days you don't know who to trust, he said. Ain't that the truth? People are certainly not nice like they used to be, said the grandmother. Yep, two fellers come in here last week, Red Sammy said, driving a Chrysler. Eh, it was an old beat-up car, but it was a good one, and these boys looked all right to me. Said they worked at the mill, and you know, I let them fellers charge the gas they bought. Oh, now why did I do that? Well, because you're a good man, the grandmother said at once. Yes, um, I suppose so, Red Sam said, as if he were struck with this answer. His wife brought the orders, carrying the five plates all at once without a tray, two in each hand, oh, and one balanced on her arm. It isn't a soul in this green world of gods that you can trust, she said, and I don't count nobody out of that. Not nobody, she repeated, looking right at Red Sammy. What did you read about that criminal? The misfit that's escaped? asked the grandmother. Oh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he didn't attract this place right here, said the woman. Well, if he hears about it being here, I wouldn't be none surprised to see him. If he hears it's two cents in that cash register, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he... That'll do, Red Sam said. Go bring these people their Coca-Colas. And the woman went off to get the rest of the order. Yep, a good man is hard to find, Red Sammy said. Everything is getting terrible. I remember the day you could go off and leave your screen door unlatched. Not no more. He and the grandmother discussed better times. The old lady said that, in her opinion, Europe was entirely to blame for the way things were now. She said the way Europe acted, you would think we were made of money. And Red Sam said it was no use talking about it. She was exactly right. And then the children ran outside into the white sunlight and looked at the monkey in the lacy chinaberry tree. He was busy catching fleas on himself and biting each one carefully between his teeth as if, well, as if it were a delicacy. They drove off again into the hot afternoon. The grandmother took catnaps and woke up, well, every few minutes with <laughs> her own snoring. Outside of Toonsboro, she woke up and recalled an old plantation that she had visited in this neighborhood once when she was a young lady. She said the house had six white columns across the front and that there was an avenue of oaks leading up to it. 
and two little wooden trellis arbors on either side in front where you sat with your suitor after a stroll in the garden. She recalled exactly which road to turn off to get to it. Well, she knew that Bailey would not be willing to lose any time looking at an old house. But the more she talked about it, the more she wanted to see it once again and find out if the little twin arbors were still standing. There's There's a secret panel in this house, she said craftily, not telling the truth, but wishing that she were. Oh, and the story went that all the family's silver was hidden in it when Sherman came through, but it was never found. Hey, John Wesley said, let's go see it. We'll find it. (laughs) We'll poke all the woodwork and find it. Who lives there? Where do you turn off at? Hey, Pop, can we go there? Can we turn off there? We never have seen a house with a secret panel, June Star shrieked. Let's go to the house with the secret panel. Hey, Pop, can we go to the house with the secret panel? Well, it's not far from here, I know, the grandmother said. It wouldn't take over 20 minutes. Bailey was looking straight ahead. His jaw was as rigid as a horseshoe. No, he said. Well, the children began to yell and scream that they wanted to see the house with the secret panel. John Wesley kicked the back of the front seat. Well, in June Star, she hung over her mother's shoulder and whined desperately into her ear that they never had any fun on their vacations and that they never could do what they wanted to do. Oh, geez, and then the baby began to scream, and John Wesley kicked that back of the seat so hard that his father could feel the blows in his kidney. All right! he shouted, and he drew the car to a stop at the side of the road. Will you all shut up? Will you all just shut up for one second? And if you don't shut up, we won't go anywhere. Well, it would be very educational for them, the grandmother murmured. All right, Bailey said, but get this. This is the only time we're going to stop for anything like this. This is the one and only time. Well, the dirt road that you have to turn down is now about a mile back, the grandmother directed. I marked it when we passed. Oh, a dirt road. After they had turned around, and were headed toward the dirt road. The grandmother recalled other points about the house. Oh, the beautiful glass over the front doorway and the candle lamp in the hall. John Wesley said that the secret panel was probably in the fireplace. You can't go inside this house, Bailey said. You don't know who lives there. Well, Well, you all talk to the people in front. I'll run around behind and I'll get in a window. John Wesley 
suggested. We'll all stay in the car, his mother said. They turned onto the dirt road and the car raced roughly along in a swirl of pink dust. The grandmother recalled the times when there were no paved roads and, well, 30 miles was a day's journey. The dirt road oh, was hilly and there were sudden washes in it and sharp curves on dangerous embankments. All at once, they would be on a hill looking down over the blue tops of trees for miles around. And then the next minute, they would be in a red depression with the dust-coated trees looking down on them. Oh, this place had better turn up in a minute, Billy said, or I'm just going to turn around. The road looked as if no one had traveled on it for months. It's, it's not much farther, the grandmother said, and just as she said it, a horrible thought came to her. Oh, and that thought was so embarrassing. Why, she turned red in the face, and her eyes dilated, and her feet jumped up, upsetting her valise in the corner. Well, the instant the valise moved, the newspaper top, oh, newspaper top that she had over the basket under it rose with a snarl and pity sing. The cat sprang onto Bailey's, yes, Bailey's, shoulder. Well, the children were thrown to the floor, and their mother, clutching the baby, was thrown out the door onto the ground, and the old lady was thrown into the front seat. The car actually turned over once and landed right side up in a gulch off the side of the road. Bailey remained in the driver's seat with the cat, gray-striped, with a broad white face and an orange nose, clinging to his neck like a caterpillar. As soon as the children saw that they could move their arms and legs, they scrambled out of the car, shouting, We've had an accident! The grandmother was curled up under the dashboard, hoping she was injured so that Bailey's wrath would not come down on her all at once. The horrible thought she had had before the accident was that the house she had remembered so vividly was not in Georgia, in Tennessee. Oh, there is so much more to this story and it's so juicy. In part two, on our next episode. Good night.